0: Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Years ago, there was this trend in which people would take lyrics of songs, plug them into Google Translate, and have Google translate them into another language, say like Russian, and then take that Russian, put it back into Google Translate and have it translated into Mandarin, and then take it out, copy and paste, that again into Google Translate and have it translated into, like, what, Sanskrit, and then translate it again back into English, and then sing the song with the lyrics as translated from English to Russian to Sanskrit, you know. And one of the first ones was somebody doing a recording of Let It Go uh, using these lyrics, and it went, give up, give up. You cannot do it back in. So some got lost in the translation along the way. So you can look these up. Some can be quite funny. but it's, And it's a silly exercise that makes a, a serious point about how languages work, how languages operate. Translation is not as simple as taking this word in this language and replacing it, this word with that language. Uh, something gets lost. Uh, there's a 19th century Italian proverb that says, traditore, traditore. Totally nailed my Italian there. But anyway, it means the translator is a traitor, right? Because the translator only presents you what you think the author was writing. Now, that's overstating it, but there, that is a legitimate concern. It's certainly a concern uh, within uh, the religion of Islam, uh, according to that tradition, if you don't know the history, Muhammad, uh, you know, they was in a cave, and you know, the angel Gabriel shows up and starts uh, reciting, doing these scriptures. And over a 23-year period, uh, these words from uh, Gabriel are compiled into what is now the Quran. And what's interesting about the Quran is that you can. We can all read translations of the Quran, but they are those translations are not considered the Quran. That is not the word of Allah. Because in order to hear the word of Allah, you have to read it in its original language. You have to read it in Arabic. Only then are you hearing the word of Allah. Now, Within the Christian tradition, this issue is a little more complicated. Um, We all agree that the, what are called the original autographs, say Paul's actual letter to the church in Philippi, known as Philippians, that the, the autographs are authoritative. Unfortunately, we have none of the original autographs. We have copies of them. We have copies of copies of copies of them. And then that's the basis for our translations. Now you think, well, man, if it's copies of copies, can we have any sense that what we're getting is what was actually written? Yeah. Yeah. Because for example, just this spring, uh, fragments of the Hebrew Bible were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls that were a hundred years older than anything else we had, and it turns out the differences between that and what we had very minor, very minor. So you know they, they, there is a even though they're copying these things by hand, they're very attentive, but there are places where discrepancies come up, and then yet yeah, we have to make some choices. Um, the oldest copies of the Gospel of John. Don't contain the story of the woman caught in adultery. What do we do with that? Or the oldest copies of uh, the Gospel of Mark end with the women fleeing the tomb, not having encountered Jesus. And then we get, after that, then we got to start translating this stuff. And I don't know if you know anything about translating. Uh, the different Bible translations, but different Bible translations sort of take different approaches to that process. There are ones that claim to be word-for-word translations, like uh, the New American Standard Bible. And then there are, there are others that say, well, we're more thought-for-thought translations. We sort of take the thought and translate that. Um, the NIV, more thought-for-thought, less word-for-word. And a lot of people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'd rather have word for word. That seems more accurate, but is it really? I mean, for instance, how would you translate como se llama? Come on, Spanish. Anybody? Spanish? How are you? No, it's what's your name. That's how you ask your name, right? But a word for word translation would be uh, how do you call yourself? I mean, that could be what's your name. But, you know, like that doesn't really get at what. No, it's just asking for your name. Como se llama. So a word-for-word translation there. Anyway, it's not as accurate. But it's complicated. How, we still, but we still claim, when you're hearing this, you are hearing the Word of God. Well, why, why, in spite of all these complications, would we say that? Why don't we require people to read it in the Greek or whatever? Well, uh, it's in part due to what John is saying in this chapter. Uh says, is, is is the word ultimately doesn't exist as words on a page. It's not text. The words on the page are uh, pointers, they're they're portals to the word. Uppercase word. Right? Um, you know, in his Islam. The, the Word came into existence over this 23-year period in the 7th century. But we believe that the Word has been there from the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so even as we give, grant this authority to this, the Scriptures, it's, their authority is because they point us to this greater reality. Anybody seen the movie Inception? Remember that one about 10 years ago? Leonardo DiCaprio plays uh, Dom Cobb. I'm trying to think whether it's an advantage to have seen it or not because it's a confusing movie. Uh, so maybe, maybe my summary <laughs> will enable to simplify it a bit. Anyway, so Dom Cobb leads a team of extractors. Now, what these extractors do is they use this piece of uh, experimental military technology that doesn't really exist. What, they, what they'll do is say they want to... There's a corporate executive that has some information that they want. And so what they, what they, they do is they, you know, they may drug his drink, he passes out, and when he, he passes out, they hook him up to this machine, right? And then they h- hook themselves in this machine, and what they're able to do then While this person is in REM sleep, they can implant a dream within them. And they themselves, because they're also hooked up to the machine, they can enter that dream. And then get him to reveal something that he wouldn't reveal to them if he was conscious. All right. So they got this big mission planned. And one of the characters um, notices that Dom, the guy who heads this all up, is on the machine by himself. And she doesn't, she's wondering why. And so she hooks herself in to see where, where is he going in this dream? What she discovers is, is Dom enters into this dream state because he wants to be with his wife who died. And that's the place where he can be with her. But it this, is, this raises all kinds of problems, anyway. But, so it's your typical boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy enters into his subconscious to be with girl again. You know, that old story. So, uh, and, and what? Maul, her name's Maul, Maul wants Dom to stay there, to you know, stay in this state so that they can be together. Uh, but Dom eventually realizes he can't. He's got to stop doing this because the the mall this is this mall is just a construction of his own memories. It's the best his own memory can do. It's how his own subconscious puts her together. And he says, "You know, I was in love with the real mall who was more complicated who wasn't just what I thought of her as. That's the mall I loved." Now that may seem rather obvious but the fact is, we've probably all been in relationships with someone who were quite content to have this version of us and just deal with us in those terms, in that box. You know, people who feel like, oh, I've got you all figured out, you know, or, or, or people who want to limit who we are to some role that they've assigned us. I think, actually, as parents, there's there's a little risk of doing that when you say, about a child, oh, he's our artist, or she's she's a troublemaker. Well, that may be somewhat true, but careful not to put your kid in a box, because your kid is more than all those things. Maybe even even if you're feeling like it's a compliment, it could feel constricting. Anyway, bring all that up to propose a hypothetical exercise. Let's say two exercises. In the first exercise, I'm just giving you a piece of paper. Top of paper says, Who is Jesus? And you start, tell me who you see Jesus as. And I suspect we would get a range of answers. Some might contain more sort of doctrinal statements. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and all that. Some might focus on retelling his life and ministry. Some might uh, focus on what Jesus means to them personally. But as different as the answers might be, there should be plenty of overlap. And by and large you know, it'd be clear, we were all talking about the same person. You know, you wouldn't expect, what, what's this business about a stovepipe hat and a button nose and two eyes made of coal? Are you sure you read the question right? You know, No, we would have, an, it'd be, there'd be lots of overlap. That's one exercise. Second exercise is that we all hook in to an experimental bit of, uh, a bit of experimental military technology. And go into REM sleep, and we meet your Jesus there. The Jesus in your subconscious, right? The, the Jesus that's com- not just a product of these of words you might on the, put on a page, but by your experience, by, by paintings you've seen, by movies you've watched, by books you've read, by your relationship to your fathers and mothers, pastors and teachers, lovers and friends. It's not just the words but the hopes and fears of all the years that you bring to those words. Not just the Jesus you want to believe in or claim to believe in, but the one you actually believe in. You get to meet that Jesus. John says that the word became flesh and we beheld his glory, glory as of the Father. I suspect if we were to meet the word as he takes flesh in our minds, we would likely behold something else. There might be hints of glory, but he'd likely be like Maul, Don's uh, deceased wife, a shadow, a version of Jesus shaped by our own needs, by our own priorities, by the role we assigned to him. I mean, we might... Come into your dream world, and for instance, and, and look around. Right? We don't even see Jesus, and you might say, "Well, yeah, him over there, way, way over there. Yeah, he's waving to us, yeah." And, and 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 you're like, "Well, can we? Will he come over?" No, 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 no. It's best that he just sort of stays over there, right? Because maybe your Jesus is somebody you know. You want him to be friendly, but to keep his distance, or maybe you say, "Oh, you want to see Jesus?" I got I got to rub this lamp, and then Jesus is like. That was my genie impersonation. For you, right? you know, but G- Jesus is more of a genie to you. He, you. What you want from Jesus is somebody who fixes things in a crisis or fulfills wishes, right? But ultimately, that's maybe what Jesus is. I suspect all of our Jesus would be too Caucasian, too, because, you know, again, it's informed by the images and whatever. You know, I, there, there is a little to which... Like Dom, we have to say, oh, you know what? My version isn't enough. I, I, I want to know the, that. I want to behold glory. I want to know Jesus as he is. The real thing. Not some poor translation. Not the word translated by Google not the word translated by our own insecurities, and fears, and biases, and personal agendas. And probably the first thing to do to have a more shiny, glorious Jesus is to recognize the ways in which our Jesuses are a reflection of our fears and insecurities, our personal agendas. You know, and it's what how has how has my own stuff uh, distorted my picture, limited my picture. I mean, and it's a lifelong process. There's never a point where you can say, you know, in this life anyway, where you can say, "I've got him all figured out." You know, he's always more complicated, more gracious than we can conceive, and so it's a lifelong process of allowing our view of Jesus to be expanded. And I realize that I think probably some of us may have been raised in traditions where acknowledging that, acknowledging the limitations, uh, feels a little threatening. We may have been raised to say, in traditions where we say, well, if you don't know who Jesus truly is, your salvation is in jeopardy, right? You're being saved is dependent on on knowing the truth Jesus as he truly is because if you Jesus is the truth and if you don't know the truth then you're living a lie that kind of thing and I get how that kind of push seems like a good motivator to expand and deepen your, your view of Jesus but it um, but there's something deeply misguided about that too yes because Jesus is the truth but When we encounter the Word in His incarnate glory, we are encountering one who is not only full of truth, but also full of grace. Right? The Word became flesh. He was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You know, somebody once said that... um, You know, Jesus may be full of grace and truth, but the rest of us either have one or the other, right? There are are certain people who speak truth but lack grace. They they wield truth like a billy club, telling it like it is and leaving bruises. And then there are people who are full of grace but have no truth. They're all sweetness but of little substance. You know, in other words, truth and grace are at odds. To possess one, you must deny the other. But these things are not at odds in Jesus. There are no truths about you. No truths about this world that he does not know. He, does, he deals with the shadow version of nothing. He deals in the, all of it in the plain light of day. But part of the truth is this, and it's the final truth, that there is grace. So the two cannot be separated. Jesus knows the truth, and there is grace, right? Uh, Jesus is not caught off guard by our mess. He knows the truth about our mess, but there is grace because he is full of truth and grace. So, in other words, who you are is not dependent on having the right conception of Jesus. Uh, your fate is not dependent on having a translation of Jesus that transcends your insecurities and fears, your personal agenda. No, you can have a, a, a shadow version. Because it's not your version of Jesus that sh- saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. It's not your ability to p- properly articulate doctrine. It's the person that's p- we that the doctrine points us to, those words point us to, right? All we may have are lowercase words, but it's the uppercase word that holds our fate. Our hope is in the one who is full of grace and truth. But then you say, well, why does it matter what we think about Jesus? Well, because we don't want our insecurities, our fears, our personal agendas to limit our conceptions of Jesus. Yes, doctrine is lowercase words, but there are better and worse words. Um, give up, give up. What's the word? You cannot do it back in. It's not as good a song, right, as let it go, let it go, can't hold back anything. Longer. I heard that song a mil- Man, I'm just having this flashbacks of my girls singing that song all the time. In fact, my eldest wanted voice lessons so she could sing that song. Anyway, so I mean, there are th- there is value in continuing to explore and deepen and all that. Because there's glory, right? That's what I mean. We want to know a Jesus where we can behold glory. Because ultimately, We care about our conceptions of Jesus because we are transformed in the process. To open ourselves to this living word, this uppercase word, is to have that word live in us, to become flesh in us. Behold the glory of having someone who knows the truth and brings grace. It's a new start because it's a new year. It's a time to set goals, make commitments, but let's commit ourselves to that. To beholding glory, to having truth and grace poured into us and through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen.